another episode of Built Like This podcast. I am your host, Maxine. We're on episode 289. Shout out to my sexy Tony Braxton voice. Hello. I guess it gets like this whenever I am either feeling tired or it's kind of late. Even though, like, technically, in the grand scheme of things, it's not really, really late. It's just 8.53 at this time. But anyway, let's get into this episode I'm happy you are tuned in. I'm happy you have subscribed, left a positive review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, as well as YouTube, and I'm happy you told a friend and that friend told a friend. Let's get into this topic. Uh, I want to start off with a word. Let's start off with a word, with a word from the great, and I'm saying this loosely, I'm, I'm being so facetious right now, If you're if you're catching my drift. But I want to go ahead and play this lovely word from the Kim Burrell. Kim Burrell is a <laughs> is a prophetess, is a woman of God, and she decided to let y'all know you will not sing at the same time as her. Let's go ahead and get into this. Me, don't sing with me right now, Lord. I'm singing alone now. You, ma'am, ma'am, with that mask. Let that mask work for you. I'm singing alone. Lord, I'll be back. No, I'll call on you when I'm ready. <laughs> Thank your hands. No. When I say, th- when I tell you that is hilarious to me. You know why it's hilarious? You know, growing up in the church, this is this is nothing new. Her behavior is nothing new. It's not unique is not special to only her this is something that is rampant amongst church folks amongst a particular demographic of church folks particularly the ones who are elderly the ones who are aunties and by aunties i mean like older aunties those who do not have their husbands with them in the service in the sanctuary those who may not be married themselves, but yet have many kids, you know, to each their own. Don't get me wrong. But I'm making the point is the, this is common amongst the church community where you have the saints with their beautiful exterior. They look the part. They look sanctified and, you know, whatever that looks like. Right. But they have their big hats. They have their nice church clothes and they look good uh and they want to be recognized as such they don't want to be unnoticed so if you dare come up to them and don't say oh i like your shoes oh i like your purse then they will take that to the greatest offense ever so Kim Burrell is nothing short of that <laughs> her wanting the sole attention in that moment and using the excuse, the convenient excuse of the Lord is using me right now, okay? As if an audience, uh, audience member, I can't say that, and as if someone from the congregation who loves that song as well, who maybe finds peace and healing from that song, I love that song. Thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. I just want to say, oh, I love that song. 
you know, something about the church when it comes to that sentimental aspect. Remember for a while since moving here, I haven't had uh, the Caribbean church experience that I have back home in Boston. And since I have uh, visited and gone to a few of the services of this Haitian church here in Houston, and it's cool and all, but, you know, after a while, it's kind of like, okay, okay, I'll just stay home. Um, But what I did appreciate was just the feeling that I got in it that I was just simply looking for, and I just got my fix. And the fix is simply... The nostalgia of it all, I would say the music, the just the energy in the room, like you can't you can't put that in a box. You can't get that via I mean, some there's some online services or like some YouTube videos you could catch, but there's nothing like being in person and feeling that feeling. And, and if you know, you know, I'm hoping I'm describing it as best as I can. But the point is, there is there is a comfort in song. There's comfort in singing. There's comfort in repeating a certain lyric. So to have Kim Burrell tell that congregation member, no, 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 it's, it's just me right now. I'm sorry. I need you to stop talking. I need you to stop singing. I need... I just find that to be so disheartening. It's so disheartening. But again, it's nothing new. I am not surprised. This is just regular church experience. And for those who, you know, many of us who did grow up in the church, whether you're still active in the church or not, you know this is nothing new. It's just very unfortunate. But let's go ahead and play it again because it's so funny. Thank you. Put your hands when I say thank you. It's a solo. God's using me. Don't sing with me right now. It's a solo, and it's not a solo. It's not like, and even if it was, you're in the church. You're in the church, and if someone is finding such healing in that moment as you're singing this song, why wouldn't you welcome that? You know, and I don't know. When people say the whole, like, you know, God's using me, I'm a vessel. First of all, we're all vessels. You know, if we're being used by him or not, that's up to you. But to deny someone from what they could get out of singing along. You know, typically when you're singing any song in service, it's a it's an invitation, it's a call to action to join with me. You know, when you have praise and worship, the praise and worship part of your service at church, it's calling for everyone to praise and worship God at the time, you know, right in that moment in time. So to be denied that because God's only using her for that moment to what? Give a note? Ma'am. Anyway, let's listen. I'm singing alone now. You. Ma'am, ma'am with that mask. Let that mask work for you. I'm singing alone. Lord, I'll be back. No, I call on you. So rude. So nasty and so rude. So then she goes on to get on her phone and 
explain herself, which I feel like really didn't do any justice, but let's get into Jimmy, it. Jimmy, don't sing with me right now. Lord, oh, that one that has to join you. And I heard her, y'all. I'm singing alone, huh? She was singing, and I was just going for it. Thank, ma'am. Ma'am, ma'am, with that mask. Let that mask work for you. I'm singing alone. Lord, I'm operating in things of the spirit. Sometimes when I operate publicly, everybody doesn't understand the dispensation of what I operate in. They just see me as Kim the singer who's not being the singer, who is not always the singer. I'm the preacher. I'm the person with the gift of the prophetic. But anyway, so I'm sitting there singing, and I keep hearing her. Then the man in front of her said, she's trying to tell you, man. No, I'll call on you when I'm ready. And so she's pointing to the fact that the again the woman in the congregation is singing along and maybe from my perspective it doesn't look like a big deal because i really don't think it is but i think just a distraction of someone mouthing along maybe that's what it is i don't really think it's that serious but anyway so she's singing along and she's in a congregation she's i don't know she's shouting as she's singing along with kim burrell um, I doubt, I really don't believe that she's the only person singing in the congregation. You mean to tell me everyone was just mute watching her? Especially for a song like that. That song is so, it's one of the songs, I, yo, that's one of the songs I grew up with, um, in church that you just sing along. It's, I don't care what you was doing. I don't care if you was on your phone scrolling. I don't care if you was talking. I don't care if you was nodding off. You just I just want to thank you. You just get into it. You get into it because, ooh, that's, dang, let me go back to church real quick. <laughs> no, but that's the song. So anyway, so for her to get singled out, and then apparently she was wearing a mask during this time. So she's, I don't know, she put the mask down and she's singing, or she's singing with the mask, and Kim, and Kim Burrell, notices it regardless it's just like girl let her fucking sing along and let's continue so this was somebody who was disconnected in the service but it was cool but if you go further into the video you're gonna see what happened i pulled her up and then she went to dancing what a time we had i want to tell everybody covid is starting to rise again just like i told her let that mask work for you ma'am ma'am with that mask let that mask work for you i'm singing alone lord i'll be back Child. Anyway, I just wanted to play that because that really ugh, annoyed me. But, you know, I love the song, so I just <laughs> had to play it for y'all. So shout out to everybody. I had fun. Shout out to everybody. I had fun. Okay. I want to talk about the Dave Chappelle situation with his response, his impromptu response to the cat williams of it all i know it's been three weeks y'all like every day since the start of this year we've been talking about cat williams and his infamous interview with shannon sharp and yes it was very entertaining it was very enlightening and uh it definitely lighted some sparks absolutely but enough I just want to say enough. I just want to say enough. Uh, I don't know if everyone just felt, if it was like, were they getting paid to give a quick response? The amount of people who responded, and I'm talking about people who 
Cat Williams spoke about, right? Some so Cedric, Travis Smiley, did Steve respond? Probably Steve too. Like so many Kevin, Tiffany, like everybody responded. And I'm just wondering, what about Ice Cube? What about even Chris? No, did Chris talk? No, not Chris talk. Mike Epps, even though Mike Epps wasn't even referenced. It's Were they getting a check to respond? Was this is this all a hoopla in our faces? I want to know. Is this a hoopla, child? Anyway, so you know, during his conversation with Shannon Sharp, Cat Williams discusses the dress and how black men wearing dresses is a symbolism of them selling their souls and being a part of the Illuminati, and basically being emasculated. There's been so much conversation afterwards of what is the big deal when black men do it compared to when white men do it. There's not enough spotlight given on the white men who have worn dresses in the media, such as Tom Hanks, apparently, because I didn't even know that until someone said that. I'm like, wait, what? Not not sleeping in Seattle, Tom Hanks. Not, I, I don't even remember saying boxers always like a box of chocolate. <laughs> Whatever he said, my daddy always said, not Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks, but Tom Hanks, not, not eating babies, Tom Hanks. <laughs> Allegedly, it's a joke. But yeah, Tom Hanks, we all know Robin Williams, but I mean, come on, Mrs. Doubtfire, come on, we got to give it to him. He did that shit, he did that shit, and that's nostalgic for me. It's nostalgic for a lot of us. I grew up on Mrs. Doubtfire. That, I remember watching it with my sister when we were younger, during our, we would have, was it Sunday nights? It was, yeah, I think it was a Sunday night movie that we watched together, because, like, there will be some nights during the week or whether it was during the week or the weekend. I believe it was a Sunday night because ABC would have, like, these special, like, appropriate movies for us to watch on TV. And so that was one of the movies. Anyway, uh, that was a – that's a great movie, okay? So I don't care. He had to sell it, so he sold it, and he did it right. <laughs> Shout out to Mr. Robbins. Shout out to Robin Williams. Rest in peace. So sad. Anyway, the point is a lot of people are not recognizing the trend or just the the historic um, recollection of different black actors who have worn black dress who have worn dresses in their um depiction on tv or in movies and that's a lot of black men that's a lot of that's marlon waynes and his brother and white chicks that's kevin hart and that snl clip that didn't even need for it to be done there's a clip of uh kevin hart saying how he only was going to wear a dress if it was necessary for a part that he's wearing. Like if it, if it gave the comedy justice and that one time when he did, at least the one time that I'm aware of, 
he was doing it for an SNL skit, and it wasn't funny at all. Like, it wasn't really necessary for him to wear a dress. Um, so him, we know Martin Lawrence with Big Mama's House. So there's a lot of examples of black men doing so. And I think the difference is very clear, but it's just so easy to be obtuse. Black men and white men are different. Okay. The, just the, just the essence of a black man and the essence of a white man are totally different. The buck breaking that black men have experienced historically is nowhere near whatever a white man has experienced in America. So, you know, the emasculation of black men in America, the downtrodden, beaten, broken down image and physicality of black men, of straight black men in America, that holds no water to, or white men hold no water to that. Like, there's no comparable example for white men and black men and how they're depicted and perceived in America and even outside of America, right? So oftentimes American racism is experienced in Russia and Bangladesh and like in so many other ways because they are adopting our perception of particular demographics. So you could be a black man visiting Japan and you may come across American style racism there. I'm not trying to sound democratic to y'all. I'm not, y'all know I'm not, but I'm just like, you know, truth is truth is truth is truth. So the clear obtuseness to not recognize the difference in how a black man is perceived wearing a straight black man is perceived wearing a dress compared to a straight white man per, is perceived wearing a dress it is just you're you're purposely being a, a a dummy like you're purposely being dumb you're purposely saying it's it's raining outside but you're pissing in my face you're purposely playing with me so play with your mama play play with your bean okay so stop it there dave chappelle has decided to come on stage and give his two cents because you know uh, you know you we have to understand that comedians not every time when they give not every time when they get on stage are they going to be funny are they going to bam 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 you know laugh laugh you know chuckle heart gut-wrenching laugh they're not gonna always have a performance like that every time what I've noticed about Chappelle is you know, growing up, I never really was a fan of his. I don't know, something about him, I just didn't really, I just never really cared about it. It just didn't spark for me. I always was a Chris Rock fan growing up, and to this day, to this day. Chappelle, it wasn't, it wasn't until recently I, I gave that nigga a shot <laughs> until I discovered him. <laughs> anyway, so... His last special, I didn't find it to be entirely funny. And 
I had to remind myself that there's been quite a number of specials from him that weren't funny as well, in my opinion, right? You know, comedy, art, all of this is subjective. I get it. But let's call a spade a spade. When he was in his quote-unquote backyard in Ohio, wherever he lives, was it Cleveland, Ohio? And this was during the time when we were quote-unquote locked down, yet he decided to have a comedy show, but it was outside, so it was okay, I guess, depending on where you are in the world, well, in the country at the time. Uh, everyone was like six feet away. He's on this platform stage. And yeah, this was like the YouTube special of his. He decided to just release it on YouTube. And it wasn't the same, it was the same amount of time as when George Floyd was. I mean, let's, we can talk about that part. <laughs> if you know what I mean, you know what I mean. But anyway, he was, it was during that time, right at the height of it. So he gives his commentary on it. And there was no, jo- I didn't laugh once. Hello? I did not laugh once. There was not a chuckle I wasn't not curling I wasn't rolling on the floor you know how when black people laugh you know there's a video a hilarious viral video that I would see from time to time it's an old one so I don't see it too much but whenever I do see it I I still laugh hard because it's hilarious it's of these black people when they say to like oh when black people laugh and then this guy and his friend, they're outside and they're laughing so hard. Not only are they like hitting each other like, yo, <laughs> you know, doing that, you know, patting each other's chest. They're, they drop their chairs. They're on the ground. They, they, <laughs> they flip over the table. It's hilarious. And when I tell you I can relate, you know, when something is just so funny, you just, you run out of the room and you run back inside. That's how funny something is. So I didn't experience any of that with Dave Chappelle for that special and for this last special. I was actually annoyed with the consistent jokes about the LGBTQ plus IA community. Who, me, Maxine? Yes, even I said enough. Even I, even I am going to be an ally in this moment. (laughs) But the point is, it's just like, okay, you're beating a dead horse. You're beating a dead horse. Um, shout out to, shout out to horses. Damn. (laughs) Sorry for them. We always keep using that damn phrase. You're beating a dead, why are you beating a horse? Never mind a dead one. (laughs) What's going on? So anyway, I didn't really find that special funny. The special prior, what was the one that was so, it was the one where he first talked about the LGBT community. And then much later, I found out that that joke was actually this white guy's joke. I think something Owen, was it Dana Owen? A white guy told that joke years prior to Dave Chappelle telling it in his previous special. So that was interesting. 
But you know what? After listening to a lot of these responses to what Cat Williams said about Cedric stealing him, Cedric the entertainer stealing his joke, I think we have to also recognize nothing's new under the sun. And that's a harsh reality we have to accept. But a lot of us are doing variations of the same thing. And yes, we add our own spin to it. We do it with our own flair. We do it with our own voice. And just, you know, no one could be you per se, but definitely someone could steal your concept. (laughs) Someone could steal the premise of your joke, the premise of your thought, the premise of your idea, and then they'll change a word or two. They'll add a detail here or there to make it their own, to paraphrase it. But ultimately, it's someone else's, someone else's, someone else. You know, you could always track it back to someone else. So there's, I had to learn that from watching these videos about it. I'm like, wow, I guess everyone steals in some way, shape, or form. Okay, anyway, Dave Chappelle came on the the stage and started talking about how uh, what date what Cat Williams did was foolish essentially because he felt like Cat Williams should have kept it a hundred about white people. You know why go so hard on black comics when you could also give your criticism to white comment white comments sorry white comics and what part of the game is this he only eat the niggas he didn't say anything about any of these white boys and none of these white boys function like that and cat is one of the best painters in the game so why are you drawing all ugly pictures of us stop and cat and hurt people hurt people but I'm a hurt person that never hurt people and he does it all the time fuck this one and fuck that one and fuck this one but nigga I didn't anything that you did wrong okay so what I didn't understand about this moment was we see during this part of the clip D-Ray Davis is on stage with him and he's tapping Chappelle on the shoulder trying to interfere with whatever Chappelle is saying. And I just didn't understand why DeRay Davis was there. Like, why are you there? Um, That's one. And it seemed, I don't know if this was planned. It seemed like he wasn't, but can we talk about Chappelle for a sec? I know we've been talking about Chappelle, but let's talk about him again in this aspect. What's going on with his aesthetic? (sighs) Sorry, I always got to like move myself shift my body what's what's going on with his with his aesthetic hello is the mic on what's going on with his what do i mean by that maxine i mean he looks a little dusty excuse me he looks dusty he looks just like unclean or just like he smells like he reeks of alcohol he looks homeless. And obviously he's not, right? He's so rich. He's like he's like one of the people in 
the industry who is so respected and revered that you'll be hard hard reach what's that saying that people say hard reach basically it'd be hard for you to see people say or hear people talk about him in anything less than glorified unless you a real nigga like me unless you a real nigga like Corey Holcomb shout out to 5150 5150 show oh but unless you're any one of those people then you're only going to hear these glorified commentaries about this man. And I just want to understand what's going on. Every time I see him, he's always smoking a cigarette. I don't. I feel like that's his M.O. for going on stage. I know he's always drinking too. So I just wonder, is he okay? Is everything all right? And I feel like when he's speaking, it's kind of hard for me to get what he's saying during some moments because he slurs his speech. I mean, is this Biden or is this Biden or is this Chappelle? Mm. But let's continue. Can't do nothing wrong. Can't do nothing wrong. M-Rec-TV. I'm going to bring a vision of a black guy. Cat did this Cat was talking about shit that niggas did to other niggas, but not about anything that niggas did to him. If I told my story, it would break your heart. Your heart. If I told my story, it would break your heart. And what I also don't like is the way he speaks, though, he really feels like he's this, like he's this martyr. Like he did so much. And he stood ten toes down. And that was the impression. Or that was the story that was told to us. Because, wow, Dave Chappelle denied the $50 million deal. $50 million deal that was presented to him. Because it compromised his, his integrity and his soul. So he denied the $50 million deal and moved to Africa <laughs> where not just Africa has a whole, just the continent. He just, he found Africa and moved there for a period of time. And then he came back after however many years. And now he's this God. He's the God in comedy. It's just so weird to me. Like why is this guy like seemingly untouchable? In my perspective, he comes off very untouchable. And a lot of people talk about him as if he's untouchable. You know how Rogan is talked about? Not necessarily as, like, one of the greats in comedy, but a, a lot from the white comics who he will shuffle on his podcast. He, like, those people, they would, like, oh, Joe Rogan's amazing. He's, he's one of them. He's great. And, you know, to be frank, to be frank with you, it's because Joe Rogan is rich. He's really rich. Okay? He got fuck you money. He got that great Spotify deal. He has a very successful podcast. His platform is powerful. So it's not like he's getting the respect because of his, his comedy skills. 
is because of the power that he has with the platform that he has. You see what I'm saying? So that's why he's getting this reverence, but it's not because of, oh, he's just all, no, no, no. It's because of his podcast, y'all. So when I think about Chappelle, it's like, you know, a lot of people who are getting this, this elite position, they're getting it in a way that's inauthentic for what they're getting it for. I hope I'm making myself clear. But anyway, let's continue. I lost everything and never, ever told on anybody. And this nigga is the arbiter of truth. Cat, listen, I fuck with Cat hard. And wreck TV. But, 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 but. Wait, 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 wait. D-Ray, just tell me what part of the game fucks up another nigga's paper. And wreck What part of the game is about telling on another nigga. Tiffany Haddish is lifting something heavy and as clumsy as she is, I don't disagree with Cat. He be telling the real shit. And this one's fucked up this way and that one's fucked up this way. Yes, nigga, that is true. But why would you say that? Because all of us are trying to be in a better situation. Can we get over it? So yeah, there's that. And I'm here to uh some goddamn bullies. We don't give a shit. We be on CNN like say our name, bitch. Say it. Say it three times. And see if we don't come over there and kill everybody. You don't believe we gangs? I mean, that is oh God really is a slur. Like there I'm here to tell you, Dave, give me a joke. Okay? Stop getting on these stages and going on these long ass rants. Everyone is just responding, oh, he's a great story. He's a great storyteller. He's a great story. Okay, okay. But when did you laugh? When did you, the last special that he came out with, which was like literally a few days, like a week ago or two. Okay, let me watch it. And it's literally the same setup as it was in the previous special. He's wearing something very similar. I guess he has a production company, it seems like, because the same logo was in the background. And I'm, I do, I'm wondering if it's a production company that he owns. Anyway, he's on the stage, and it's rather short. It felt short. It felt kind of rushed, but still delayed at the same time, if that makes sense. Towards the end of his last bit, it's such a prolonged joke that I deadass fell asleep, one. But prior to me falling asleep, I was trying to figure out, when am I going to laugh? When am I going to laugh? I did not laugh. And I just think, I I understand we live in a microwave society, and we're trying to revert to how things once were. At this point, you have to get to it, though. Like, you have to balance it out and bring on the funny. You can't just keep on going on and on about the same trans topic over and We get it. We get it. Like, cut it out, dog. It was just ridiculous. I was, just, I was annoyed. I was annoyed because this was the second special because the one prior to that, was a little bit better, but again, it was more of his story as telling. And then coming across this clip that was filmed on the DL, because you could tell from the footage, seeing how 
at least in that portion. Maybe he made people laugh afterwards or right before the guy started filming, but I highly doubt it. And I just, I'm just tired of it. Like, can we get to the funny? Can we get to the funny? Uh, and so I am not the only one who feels this way. Shout out to Corey Holcomb, like I said earlier, for being a real nigga. And let's take a look, listen to what he just said. Must be spoken on. And I feel like it needed to be shook up because we some scary motherfuckers, man. But my nuts too big to just be quiet forever about shit that I see in this comedy game that must be spoken on. God! I, I can't be quiet no more. My nigga Dave Chappelle be bombing like a motherfucker. I'm just keeping it real, dog. <laughs> I think he's so funny. He doesn't come to, I'm just checking, checking he's going to come to Houston anytime soon. He is too funny. I hear that his comedy is an acquired taste. Like he kind of goes there. Like he goes there. He's dark. But I'm, I'm dark in, in my own way, and I, I, I get it. So I, I find it hilarious. And I really enjoy his podcast, so I think I would enjoy his comedy set in person. But, yeah, that, that nigga be bombing. Like, just call a spade a spade. And yet a lot of people in that industry like to revere Chappelle as this god. It's like... All y'all say about him is like, look, he's a great, he's a crazy, phenomenal storyteller. It's like, okay, but did he make you laugh though? You could be a great story. Don't get me wrong. You could be a great storyteller and be a great comedian, but in your storytelling, are you making me laugh? Are you hitting the jokes out? Or are you just giving me damn adjectives and adjectives? I have watched, whenever they say, hey, everybody, guess what? Special guest, Dave Chappelle. I'll be like, oh, damn. <laughs> it's going to be hot garbage for at least an hour. Hour, maybe two. I'm just keeping it real. Okay, and he's totally right. It gets to be a hot garbage, <laughs> a hot garbage for quite some time. And... Eventually, you'll you'll get some laughter, but at some point, it's not funny, and then you fall asleep, and then it's over. <sighs> anyway, but shout out to everybody. I had fun. So, a plane had a little malfunction not too long ago. This happened a few days ago. A Boeing plane that uh, pulled from Alaska Airlines. The do you know the emergency door? The door where you get more foot room if you say yes, I agree to saving lives. Should we have an emergency? Yes, I agree to pulling the door. Should we have an emergency and flying out and helping others first before I help myself? Yes. That row, the emergency exit row, is where this issue took place. And it's hilarious. I mean, it's really not. I'm grateful to hear that no one got hurt and no one passed. But if I was a pass, I would have been suing Alaska Airlines, United Airlines, your airlines, like every airline. What do you mean? What do you mean the door blew out? What do you mean? 
The Federal Aviation Administration announced an investigation into Boeing after an Alaska Airlines flight was forced to make an emergency landing when a door plug fell off the fuels the fuse ledge mid-air. The incident should have never happened and it cannot happen again. The administration said it notified Boeing of its investigation, which will look into whether Boeing failed to ensure completed products conform to its approved design and were in a condition for safe operation in compliance with FAA regulation. And in this clip, just from the thumbnail alone, you see the passengers wearing the guard, like wearing that mask that they have to put on in case of an emergency. You know how every time you you get on a plane, you have to go through the um the um expected and mandated tutorial of safety should an emergency take place. And to actually have to do it is just so terrifying. And I can only imagine what these passengers felt. And thankfully, they were all seated in a secured fashion. But I just can't, I just can't get, I I feel so, (laughs) I feel so bad for just being uh, aware of this. Never mind having to have sit through that. I would be so pissed. Uh, But there was one article that I read talking about somebody on the plane actually opened the door and them opening the door was improper so much so that it flew out the the door handle. It was confusing. So I don't know they'll try to make it seem like the passenger is at fault. He should have never opened the door. Or if it was the the just the engineering of it all of the plane. But anyway, yeah, I will be suing the heck out of the airlines, the airport, the pilot, passenger in row 2E. Like I will be suing everybody. <laughs> you get a lawsuit, you get a lawsuit. The lawsuit alleged that the company prioritized short-term financial success and production numbers over quality. Um, So it looks like someone is pressing a lawsuit against them. But, okay, I, I read, yeah, no serious injuries were reported on the flight, so that's great. But still, that is traumatizing you know, who knows if someone on the flight was already someone who was afraid of flying. I know Whoopi Goldberg talked a lot about how she is deathly afraid of flying. And just to hear about this news, I'm sure she's probably thinking, yeah, that's why I don't go on planes. Something about um, being in the air allows her to feel less in control, and she doesn't like that. And she likes to be like on the ground. So whether it's on in a car, she's traveling in a bus, on a train, she likes to be on ground. Maybe she feels more in control of whatever emergency that may come.
But yeah, I just thought that was very terrifying, and I'm really happy to hear that no one got hurt, and all is well. But yeah, I would be suing the crap out of them. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. <sighs> Let's talk about Scott Peterson. Whew, I remember this case when it came out 20 years ago now. Like it's a, it's been a, it was 04. Yeah, it's been a long, long time. Now, just a quick reminder, Scott Peterson is a man who was accused of killing his wife and unborn child in 2004. He was accused of this for several reasons, but I want to primarily say it's because of him being an infidel. Him being a husband who cheated on his wife and was having this illicit affair and it just looked like he did it or that he could be so callous enough to do something like this so that he could live with his new woman. A lot of events took place during that time period that made him look optically bad. It looked bad. Because while his wife was missing and his unborn child, remember, she was pregnant at the time and was about to pop in the next few months, like probably two months. She was visibly pregnant. He was in this affair with another woman. The woman that wasn't aware of his wife, she was under the impression that he was a widow. He told her that his wife is dead. <laughs> like, literally. So, it looks really bad. Like, damn, nigga, what? <laughs> Just to find out that she was dead later. It looked like he killed her, and now he's putting on this act that, you know, so it looked very suspicious. It doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. It didn't look good. Um, She finds out, and, like, he's living with like not living with her, but, like, he's going out with her, this other woman, and, like, they, they're in this full-on relationship. So, years later, we find out that not all was as it seemed or as what we thought. Because, yes, it looked optically bad. And, yes, there's that instant response of, well, it's usually the husband. Is you know when the wife goes missing, it's usually the husband. Yes, there's there's all of that. But I think that is a bias that a lot of us use because of just this expectation that if the husband is cheating, then he has to be killing the wife. <laughs> <laughs> right? And it's like, why can't he just be cheating on her? Why does that have to be? I take offense. Uh, but a lot of new evidence has come about since then. And the Los Angeles Innocence Project has actually decided to take on this case because of new evidence that has arose. Let's get into the new evidence, child, because I am taken aback. When I tell you I was 
lost for words. But let's get into it. So the the Los Angeles Innocence Project has taken up the notorious case of convicted wife killer Scott. See how they just painted him? Like, yes, he was convicted for killing his wife, but did he in fact kill his wife? Evidence didn't prove it. It was just all circumstantial. It was circumstantial because of how optically it looked. It looked bad because, oh, he was having an affair on her. Oh, he told his other woman that his wife was dead. Oh, he, I guess he didn't look grieving enough when it came out that his wife was missing and that she was dead. Like, he didn't look like a grieving widow in that moment enough. So, uh, let's see. Scott Peterson is Scott Peterson in new court filings. ABC News was forced to blah, blah, blah. The group is seeking new evidence from the original trial. Lacey Peterson, who was 27 years old and eight months pregnant, disappeared on Christmas Eve in 2002. Her body was found in San Francisco Bay in April 2003. Scott Peterson, 51, was arrested and charged. Now, when they say 51, I don't know if he was 51. At the, he wasn't 51 at the time. I'm saying he's 51 now. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm talking to myself, obviously. Okay, so he's 51 now. He was arrested um, and convicted in 04 and was actually sentenced to death in 05. He, he was later sentenced to life in prison without parole. So I guess his death sentence was taken out for whatever reason, not sure. New evidence now supports that, me, that Mr. Peterson's longstanding claim of innocence and raises many questions into who abducted and killed Lacey and Connor Peterson, Connor being their unborn child. I want to uh, read another report that really broke down the new evidence that supports this possible innocence of Scott Peterson. Um, okay. A former fire official says a burnt van he investigated could be connected to Lacey, Pe Lacey Peterson. LA, LA Innocence Project filed a motion to have items tested for DNA evidence. So two decades after Scott Peterson was convicted for the murders of his wife and unborn child, the Los Angeles Innocence Project is, is re-examining his case and there might be new evidence to investigate. Peterson was identified as the prime subject, sorry, prime suspect in the death of his wife, Lacey, who was eight months pregnant. When it was revealed, he was having an affair with another woman. Now there are reports of an orange van spotted across the street from Scott and Lacey Peterson's home around the time that Lacey vanished on Christmas Eve 2002 the report comes from a former california fire official who claimed he investigated the burnt van okay now the question is 
where was this van in the beginning of this trial, of this case as a whole? No one really got into the details about this van. So the fact that there are reports of an orange van, what, what an orange van? Why is there a van in the color orange? Spotted across the street from Scott and Lacey Peterson's home around the time that Lacey vanished, and yet the van is now burnt, according to a report from a former California fire official, is very suspicious. Scott Peterson has always claimed that he was innocent. The pictures of the van showed it had a mattress in the back which could contain possible blood or DNA evidence. Brian is a former fire investigator, and he said the van was found on Christmas Day in 02, the day after L Lacey Peterson vanished in an alley in the airport district of Modesto. That's where the van was found. At the time, police tracked down a different van, which the DOJ later cleared. This has always been one of those things that kind of sits in the back of your head and kind of bugs you a little bit. You kind of wonder why this didn't happen or why it wasn't brought up. And I think it didn't happen because this was a very sensationalized case. You have this fairly attractive man who was in this optically beautiful relationship, this marriage, they have this pending child, and yet we learn that he, in fact, was having an affair on her with this blonde, this hot blonde, who was under the impression that he was a widow and there was no other woman, you know, it was just them, because he was always with her during their outings and Yet, a lot of things didn't look right because Scott Peterson didn't really handle himself well. There was some moments when he lied to her, to this other woman, and said he was in Paris doing something, like on business, I believe, yet he was actually at the memorial for his late wife at the time. <laughs> and come to find out that his this other woman who he was seeing, she was recording him after she put two and two together that this guy is the man from this sensationalized news report. It was very crazy. Like, this was a time, yo. Like, Nancy Drew. No, was that her name? The one on, no, the one home talk. Nancy, Nancy Grace right? <laughs> Is that name? Nancy Grace. Nancy Grace. That's a Nancy Drew. Well, that's in the same ballpark. You know what I mean? But yeah, Nancy Grace had a field day with this one child, a field day, but let's continue. So two women found dead in Missouri firefighters home years apart. Someone says, you know, I don't know that I was trying the moment to lace no i don't know that i was tying the moment to lacy i was more tying i was more tying the moment that it was human blood it made like this was much more important 
than just a burned vehicle that somebody was just wanting to get rid of. Okay, the point of this being brought up is around this area, though it was a pretty well-to-do neighborhood, there was a lot of crime happening in the periphery of this neighborhood. And the evidence that is being investigated now is, or even during that time, actually, I do remember hearing this evidence then, was a string of robberies taking place and people getting hurt along the way. From what I heard about who Lacey Peterson was, she was very feisty. She didn't back down. She stood up for what was right. She was a justice warrior. And the story was she actually got in the way of a robbery that was being taken place in the neighborhood. And her, apparently she she was like, hey, what are you doing? As she saw these robbers robbing a, a home while she was walking on the street during the day, apparently. So sometimes, you know, robberies can happen at any time, you know, regardless if it's daytime. So that is a, an alleged story or an actual story of what took place. And to see that two women were found dead in Missouri, in this firefighter's home, years apart. Uh, makes you wonder if there's a connection here, if there was a serial killer on the loose and is still on the loose. Is he responsible for all of these killings or some of them? And it just was so convenient to pin it on Scott Peterson because of his behavior. He didn't make it any difficult for us to say, okay, it's probably not him. No, it, because he cheated on his wife, because he was having this illicit affair, and because he was lying to her, saying he's in Paris when he wasn't, and, you know, my wife is dead when she's not, it just really makes you wonder, like, God, damn. <laughs> I mean, God bless. It's really sad. Um, like, to kill a woman is already sad enough. To kill is already sad enough. But to kill a woman is sad, um, devastating. And to kill a woman who's with child is just a next level of evil. So I hope uh, things get resolved as far as discovering who the actual killer was because I actually don't believe that Scott Peterson did it just based off of what is being developed and based off of the history of how many cops operate, a lot of policemen like to pressure you to admit a crime that you didn't do. And this whole time, Scott Peterson has never admitted to anything. He's as, he has always maintained his innocence. So that's one thing that you could say, you know, Despite the fact that there are cops, and I'm sure he experienced this, there are cops who probably pressured him into saying or admitting guilt even though he wasn't guilty. Even though I, you know, I don't believe he wasn't guilty. I don't believe he wasn't guilty. So, a lot, you know, cops do this to close a case, to say, hey, I was the one who was behind this case, 
And because of my due diligence, I got him to admit to this and I sought justice. Look at me, I'm a hero. A lot of times these cops do that and it's just a form of corruption. So Scott Peterson looking like a great example of a killer. And yes, there are so many cases in which the husband is the killer. He is not only the prime suspect, but it's been proven that he did kill his wife. But in this case, despite the optics of him not looking great, he didn't kill his wife. And I'm just here to see how things unfold. So if there are further developments that come about, I will definitely report. But I I really appreciate... I really appreciate um, profit or nonprofit organizations that take on cases like this, that find it necessary and important to exonerate those who have been wrongly incarcerated. Now, with the LA Innocence Project, that is their mission to give a voice and a platform and resources and freedom to those who have been incarcerated for however many years and been incarcerated on false pretenses. If you go to their website, you'll see so many of their cases that have been completed and in the completion on this page, you see the names of these people, of these ex-cons, which is unfortunate now that's on their record. Hopefully it gets the, what's the word? Is it not debunked, but hopefully it gets removed from their record. But nonetheless, you see the years that they spent in prison, the time that they served. You have so many people here who served at least 20 years. There's an example of this man named Rafael Ruiz. He served 24 years. This is a man named Huey Burton. He served 19 years. Christopher Tapp, 21 years. Ernest Sonia, 22.5 years. Like, what? What do you do now? After serving that much time in prison for a crime you did not commit, for a crime that you were not responsible for yet because of the corruption in the criminal justice system you serve the time for it and yes we hear of cases of those who serve time wrongly they you know they not only get freed but oh they get awarded 40 million dollars like what the fuck is that i don't know if there's a price to give to, to compensate the time that you took away from my life. Like, I went into this as a child, and now I'm a middle-aged, if not in my early elderly years, man or woman, and, oh, you give me $40 million? Okay, I guess I could just, I guess I'll just make it, I just guess, I'll just figure it out now. The money doesn't do anything. I'm sure it helps, right? But you can't ever pay back time. And I just feel so sorry for all these people who 
were wrongly convicted. And I think we get so quick to disbelieving those who are in prison whenever they say, oh, I didn't do it, I didn't do it. Because I hear that a lot. I, I know someone who works in prisons directly, and they always get bombarded with stories of these convicts saying they didn't do it. Now, of course, yes, there are people who say they didn't do it, yet they did it. We know they did it. They're lying. They're trying to find a way out. Don't get me wrong. But those people get muddled into the same population with people who are convicted and are wrongly convicted at that, yet they're not given the time or the space to be heard and to be given the justice they deserve. So shout out to the Innocence Project, the LA Innocence Project for the work that they're doing. It's really a blessing and I just find it to be very, very inspiring. So shout out to Scott Peterson, free Scott Peterson. Just like we say, oh, free, free YSL and all these niggas who definitely did it. These niggas definitely did it. <laughs> you know, running amok in society being menace, menaces to society. But we can't free Scott Peterson. Anyway, thank you so much for listening, you all. I appreciate every listen. Make sure you tell a friend to tell a friend. And I will check in with you all next time. Peace.